Well, Pope Francis issued his motu proprio traditionis custodis, greatly restricting the traditional Latin Mass. And up there on the chopping block, if you read the motu proprio, are what are called the Ecclesia Dei communities. The most well-known are the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King, but there are several other like Institute of Good Shepherd. I'll mention them in the podcast later. Everyone's been waiting and wondering how these traditional Latin Mass institutes, priestly societies, are going to respond to Pope Francis. What will be their response? They made their response. The superiors of these groups got together and issued a communique. And I'm going to read that communique today. And I'm also going to admit that the reason that I have taken so many days to do this podcast is because I was so riled up. As I read this, it sounds to me, I'm going to go through five options of what this communique could mean and give some very charitable reads of the communique. So I'm not here just to dog and dunk on the Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King. And if you're here to do that and you're in the live chat, don't do that. Take a deep breath. But I am going to say some hard things. My initial response when I read the communique and I saw that they begged for dialogue five times, they quoted Vatican II, they quoted Amoris Laetitia, the most controversial document of Pope Francis, which still has five unanswered dubia, by none other than Cardinal Burke and three other cardinals, too. May they rest in peace. I thought, you guys caved in. And maybe it's a moment, maybe it's a moment for these institutes, Institute of Christ the King, Fraternity of St. Peter, maybe it's time to take off the eggshell white lace katas. And look in the mirror. Are you here for the faith or are you here for rubrics? Is it about Baroque furniture and antique credence tables and antique crystal cruets? Those things are all great. But the faith, but the crisis that we live in, did they cave in? So as I was preparing for the show, I put up a poll here on YouTube, for those that are watching on YouTube. And here were the results so far. I'll share this before we get into the show and pray. Just put that on the screen. Did Latin Mass groups like Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King cave in last week to Pope Francis? 75% of you said yes, they caved. 25% no, they rightly submitted to the Pope. So that's three-fourths of you said no, they caved. And I'll be honest, 100% of the people that I know in the fraternity of St. Peter, priests and lay people, mostly lay people who have contacted me saying, what's going on? All of them are disappointed and see this as a major loss, as a cave-in. So that's going to be today's show. We're going to pray. I'm going to do five things today. All right. I'm going to go through the, sorry, I'm going to do four things. Maybe I'll do a fifth. Who knows? I'm going to go through the five options, five different reads on this document. I am going to read it because it's very short. 
I'm going to briefly explain different approaches to the crisis and the liturgy by comparing the Fraternity of St. Peter to the Society of St. Pius X. I know that's red meat for a lot of you. We're going to talk about FSSP and SSPX. Three, I'm going to look at again, what is the end game? Is it corralling? Y'all heard me talk about the corral theory, that they're going to corral all the animals. Or is it actually suppression, total suppression? And then I'm going to look at something pretty scary, and that is impositions that could happen in the next year or so against these communities. Changes to the missile, changes to the calendar, um, suppressions to parts of the Latin mass, perhaps a change over to the 1965 missile, not the 1962, perhaps the enforcement of altar girls, communion in the hand, con celebration, etc. Things get real scary as we walk up to the edge of that cliff. So that's today's show. So a lot to cover. It's going to be a good one. Make sure if you like it so far, give it the thumbs up. Share this video on Facebook. You are my algorithm. So please share. take the link to this show. Copy, paste, put it on Facebook. Please subscribe if you're new. And click the bell to be notified whenever I go live. Thanks to everyone who does subscribe already. Also, I have a second channel that has highlights. That is brief highlights taken out of the main shows. You can just search for that later. Taylor Marshall highlights. Okay, let's get into it. We're going to pray the Our Father. We're going to pray for all the priests and superiors of these Ecclesia Day communities. Oremos. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fidii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, I'm going to do a quick lesson right away, and you can see that up in your top right-hand corner. The difference between assent of faith and religious assent. As Catholics are required to have both, but there is a distinction. Assent of faith is what we must believe by making a supernatural act of faith. You must believe in the Trinity. You must believe in the deity of Christ. You must believe in his resurrection and the final resurrection. You must believe in heaven and hell. The virgin birth. These are the dogmas of the faith, the doctrines, divinely revealed. You must assent with belief, faith. There's also religious assent. Now, these are based not on the virtue of faith, but on the virtue of obedience. That is, here in America, I must attend Mass on December 8th, Feast of the Immaculate Conception. I must fast on Good Friday. And also, it includes things like, only use this missile right so none of those things above are actual dogmas like heaven and hell the trinity the res uh, the resurrection of christ but as a catholic i also have to religiously assent now religious assent is not unconditional assent to faith is unconditional you have to believe in all the dogmas of the church revealed by Christ and his apostles, clarified by the magisterium and the popes. The other things are conditional. 
And that's where things get a little bit um, controversial in the church, especially when it comes to resisting superiors, which St. Thomas Aquinas talks about. Here's the quote from Thomas Aquinas. Let me get rid of this one right here. St. Thomas Aquinas says, It must be observed, however, that if the faith were endangered, a subject ought to rebuke his prelate even publicly. Hence, Paul, who was Peter's subject, rebuked him in public on account of the imminent danger of scandal concerning faith. And as the gloss of Augustine says, Peter gave an example to superiors that if at any time they should happen to stray from the straight path, they should not disdain to be reproved by their subjects, end quote, Summa Theologiae 2.2, Secunda Secunde, question 33, article 4, response to objection 2. Notice in the example by Thomas Aquinas, it's not just an inferior to a superior, it's actually an inferior to the highest superior, which is the Pope. St. Peter is the first Pope. So there is example provided by God in his economy for Popes to be rebuked by inferiors in public. Now, it's not something that we should take lightly. It's a pretty serious thing. All that being said, that kind of sets the frame for today's show. We're not talking about the ascent of faith. No one here is denying Catholic doctrine or dogma. Um, there's no one in the traditional community that's saying, we deny papal infallibility, we deny the resurrection, we deny the Trinity, we deny that Mary is holy Theotokos, ever virgin. No one's doing that. We are in the realm of, if I can put it back on the screen here, we are in the realm here of not ascent of faith, but religious ascent. That's what we're in the realm of. All right. Let's look at the communique. If you want to read the communique, the whole thing is available over at Rorate Chaley. Rorate-chaley-blogspot.com It is signed and endorsed by all the superiors of the Ecclesia Dei community. That includes the General Superior of the Fraternity of St. Peter, the founder and superior of the Institute of Christ the King, Monsignor Giles Walk, um, the Superior General of Institute of Good Shepherd, the Superior Fraternity of St. Vincent Ferrer, the Provost of the Institute of St. Philip Neri, the Superior Missionaries of Cross, Abbot of the Abbey of St. Magdalene, Father Abbot of the Canons of Abbey of La Grasse, Father Abbot of the Abbey of St. Mary a la Garde, Mother Abbess of the Abbey of Our Lady of the Annunciation, Prioress of the Canonesses of Azil, and the superior of the adorers of the royal heart of Jesus, sovereign priest. Okay, that's everyone who signed on to this document. Let's go through the document, and I'll make comment along the way, and then we'll get into the comparisons with FSSP, Institute of Christ the King, SSPX, the position of Lefebvre, the alternative position, difficulties on both sides. Okay, the signatory institutes want above all to reiterate their love for the church and their fidelity to the Holy Father, this filial love is tinged with great suffering today. We feel suspected, marginalized, banished. However, we do not recognize ourselves in the description given by the accompanying letter of the motu proprio traditione custodis. So right out the gate, they play a sympathy card. They know Pope Francis is sympathetic to marginalized and banished people. 
So they say we are marginalized and banished. And of course, I think they are. But this will kind of go into one of the opinions or one of the viewpoints of why these groups wrote this document in this way. One of them, I guess I'll let one of the horses out early. One of them is to play the victim card and to be overly submissive because something worse is about to happen. Bigger weapons are coming out, perhaps. That's one, one thesis. I'll get to the other four in just a moment. I believe there's five. Next paragraph. We do not see ourselves as true church in any way. On the contrary, we see in the Catholic Church our mother in whom we find salvation and faith. We are loyally subject to the jurisdiction of the Supreme Pontiff and that of the diocesan bishops, as demonstrated by the good relations in the dioceses. I'm going to skip a little part there because it's technical. And the result of canonical and apostolic visits in recent years. We affirm our adherence to the magisterium, including that of Vatican II and what follows, and according to Catholic doctrine of the ascent due to it, in particular, Lumen Gentium, number 25, and Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 891 and 892, as evidenced by numerous studies and doctoral thesis carried out by several of us over the past 33 years. This is a bit more problematic. They affirm their adherence to Vatican II. They specify Lumen Gentium and also the Catechism without any qualifications. Next paragraph. Have any mistakes been made? Question mark. They're asking the Pope. Was Traditionis going out of the quotes here. This is me talking. Holy Father was Traditionis Custodis maybe a mistake? Like maybe you were medicated and you were under um, pain meds and you wrote this out in a fever and signed it and issued it. Maybe this is all one big mistake, Holy Father. The document continues, we are ready as every Christian is to ask forgiveness if some excess of language or mistrust of authority may have crept into any of our members. We are ready to convert if party, spirit, or pride has polluted our hearts. Okay, that's fair enough. They're saying, well, maybe the fault's us. Maybe, you know, we have pride, we have party spirit, we have excess of language, mistrust. We're ready to repent of that. It also, that's, what's interesting about them saying that is they're saying, was a mistake being made? Perhaps your Holy Father is punishing us for a perceived sin on our side. There's an acknowledgement there. I don't think there is, but so be it. Next paragraph. The superiors say, We beg for a humane, personal, trusting dialogue, far from ideologies or the coldness of administrative decrees. We would like to be able to meet a person who will be for us the face of the motherhood of the church. We would like to be able to tell him about the suffering, the tragedies, the sadness of so many lay faithful around the world, but also of priests, men and religious, men and women religious who gave their lives, trusting on the word of Pope John Paul II and Bennett XVI. All right, this to me feels like weakness. If there's sharks in the water, this smells like blood. Literally, they say, we beg for a humane, personal, and trusting dialogue. 
and they're able, they want to meet with the person with the face of the motherhood of the church. I mean, who's writing this? This feels weak. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm making a mistake. But as I'm reading this, I'm like, the traditional bulwark, the hardcore traditionalists, the Ecclesia Dei leaders are begging for humane, personal, trusting dialogue, and they're begging for a moderator with the face of the motherhood of the church? Next paragraph. It's short. We're getting there. Hang with me. They were promised that all measures would be taken to guarantee the identity of their institutes in full communion with the Catholic Church. The first institute accepted, and by the way, they use the word full communion, Continuing, quote, the first institutes accepted with gratitude the canonical recognition offered by the Holy See in full attachment to the traditional pedagogies of the faith, particularly in the liturgical field, based on the Memorandum of Understanding in 1988 between Ratzinger and Archbishop Lefebvre. I think it's interesting that they actually use the name Lefebvre, and they show the only reason that these people are standing here as superiors is because back in 1988, Lefebvre, agree with him or not, was brave, was bold, and he said he was doing it not chiefly for liturgy or rubrics, but for the faith. This entire debate of Ecclesia Day communities derives from the action of Archbishop Lefebvre. Love him or hate him, he is the epicenter of this earthquake. The communique goes on. This solemn commitment was expressed in the Motu Proprio Ecclesia Day, July 2nd, 1988, then in a diversified manner for each institute in their decrees of erection and their constitutions definitively approved. The men and women religious and priests involved in our institutes have made vows or made commitments according to the specification. It is in this way, trusting in the word of the Supreme Pontiff, they gave their lives to Christ to serve the church. These priests and men and religious serve the church with dedication and abnegation. Can we deprive them today of what they are committed to? Can we deprive them of what the church had promised them through the mouth of the popes? End quote. Now, what the, what's ironic here is they are implying that their men and women, their priests and their religious, that the promises that were, that were made in 1988 and then in diversified manners to each of these institutes, the promises are being revoked. In other words, the subtle message here is it feels like something dirty is going on. We were promised these things and they're being taken away. And what needs to be said if, if, if the ghost of Archbishop Lefebvre could come out, he would say, I told you so. This is exactly what I was dealing with in 1988. Trying to make deals, getting some agreements, then they take back something. I mean, this pact, this covenant between the Ecclesia Dei communities, Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King, that was forged in 1988, Apparently, it wasn't forged in iron. 
The document goes on. We're now towards the end. Pope Francis encourages the church's pastors to listen to them with sensitivity and serenity, with a sincere desire to understand their plight and their point of view in order to help them live better lives and recognize their proper place in the church. Amoris Laetitia 3.12. I just don't know what to say. These institutes have Cardinal Burke ordaining their men. Just in Mexico, Cardinal Burke ordained one of the priests of the fraternity of St. Peter. Cardinal Burke has five dubia, questions of doubt regarding Amoris Laetitia. They're long, they're technical. I thought I'd do them on the show, but we're going to be out of time, so you can look them up. They're still unanswered. Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Brown Mueller have asked questions of what seems to be heresy in Amoris Laetitia. Over 70 scholars, theologians, with mandata, have also raised questions. They've never been answered. And here are the leaders of FSSP and Instituted Christ the King quoting Amoris Laetitia to score points with Pope Francis? We are eager, they say, to entrust the tragedies we are living in to, the father, to a father's heart. We need listening and goodwill, not condemnation without prior dialogue. There's that D word again, dialogue. They just want to dialogue more with the dialoguers. The harsh judgment creates a feeling of injustice and produces resentment. Patience softens hearts. We need time. I mean, it almost feels like a letter from a girl breaking up with a guy. It's just... <sighs> harsh judgment creates a feeling of injustice and produces resentment. Patient, softened heart. We need time. Today, we hear of disciplinary apostolic visits to our institutes. Time out. So I've heard of this too. I never want to jump the gun or give too many ideas. But yes, there is talk of apostolic visits to each of these institutes. That means Pope Francis will uh, appoint someone who will go and visit the seminaries, the headquarters, and parishes and ministries and apostolates of these institutes like Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, and then decide if they can continue. This happened not too long ago with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. And look at them now. Do a Google search. It's pretty sad. You might remember that once upon a time in 1970, there was a group called the Society of St. Pius X. They were in full recognition from the Pope and from the local diocese. They also had a apostolic visit in, I think it was 1974, 1975, which led to all of them getting suspended in 1976. So when the Institute of Christ the King and Fraternity of St. Peter hears about apostolic visits, they start thinking, rut row, this sounds a lot like the 1970s. Above all, we want a truly human and merciful dialogue. Have patience with me, exclamation mark. Oh, this is sentimentalism. These are, when I read this, I don't see men ready to enter the trenches and to fight. I don't see or hear 
or feel masculinity. I see gin and lace and Baroque furniture and playing church, you know, LARPing whatever century and place is your favorite. You know, I want to be 17th century France Catholic priest. Buckles on my shoes, whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But if that is the terminus, if that is the telos, we're dead in the water. If these are the generals, remember, superior generals, if these are the generals, and they're saying, we want a truly human, merciful dialogue, amoris laetitia, lumen gentium, amoris laetitia. Final paragraph. On August 13th, the Holy Father affirmed in liturgical matters, unity is not uniformity, but the multifaceted harmony created by the Holy Spirit. We are eager to make our modest contribution to this harmonious and diverse unity, aware, as Sacrosanctum Concilium teaches, the liturgy is the summit towards which the activity of the Church is directed. At the same time, it is the font from which her power flows, end quote, end quote, Sacrosanctum Concilium number 10. Okay. Again, let's take the lace off and look in the mirror. Listen to this statement. We are eager to make our modest contribution to this harmonious and diverse unity. Okay, are we here to restore the Roman rite? Are we not here to restore all things in Christ, which includes Holy Week? It includes the bravery. It inclu includes the religious orders, the true legacy of St. Benedict, St. Dominic, St. Francis, the beauty of holiness, Gregorian chant, penance, fasting, the rosary, traditional devotions, or are we here to make our modest contribution to this harmonious and diverse unity? Blah! Take off the lace for 15 minutes and go stare in the mirror. Are you a man and would St. Paul recognize you as an ally. I'm going to lose some friends over this podcast. I fear even priests I know in the Fraternity Institute of Christ the King, this might be the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but this, to me, bleeds weakness. Here's the final statement, again, quoting Amoris Laetitia. With confidence, we turned first to the bishops of France so that true dialogue, there's that D word again, be opened and that a mediator be appointed who will be for us the human face of this dialogue. There's the D word again. They, oh, they want dialogue. We must avoid judgments which do not take into account the complexity of various situations. It is a matter of reaching out to everyone, of needing to help each person find his or her proper way of participating in the ecclesial community and thus to experience being touched by an unmerited, unconditional, gratuitous mercy, Amoris Laetitia, number 296, 297, signed, and then here's all the signatures of the superiors of Ecclesia Day. Again, you've already heard me say it. There's blood in these waters. There's weakness. My personal belief is that Pope Francis and the powers that be at the Congregation Doctrine of Worship 
and the congregation for uh, religious life are besides themselves happy. They love this. No resistance. Now, let me just say, if they put out something that was bold, something that was strong, I'm not saying disrespectful or disobedient, but something that had some strength to it, some hair on the chest, do you really think Pope Francis the Merciful is going to suppress all of these institutes, suppress all their seminaries, and excommunicate them all? No. He'd be in a tight spot. He's already received so much negative feedback, even from moderate and liberal bishops. He's already in a tight place. To me, this was a great opportunity for them to gently but firmly push back. Okay, so here are the five reads possible reads, some harsh, some charitable. Okay, the first one is they caved in. Francis laid a trap for them and they just ran right into it. You could even say they took a swan dive into the trap. Now, this is understandable. These priests, you need to understand, I know many of them. They have been spiritually abused for 33 years. They have lived at the fringes of the Catholic Church. Bishops don't like them. Local clergy don't like them. There is misunderstandings even within the fraternity and in the institute. Not everyone gets along. It's a, it's a hard place to be in 2021. And people who have been spiritually abused sometimes just look for the way to not get smacked around one more time. So a trap was laid and they ran into it. They said, whatever you want, forgive us. We want dialogue. We will quote Sacrosanctum Concilium. We will quote Lumen Gentium. We will quote Vatican II. We will quote Amoris Laetitia, the most controversial document of, of Pope Francis. Just don't hit us anymore. Don't take away anything else. And I can understand that. As I said earlier, Ecclesia Day was born out of a peace pact. There was tension in how do we maintain the faith within the liturgy? Archbishop Lefebvre's answer was the 1962 Missal. That went forward until 1988 when he got old. And there was no longer any a bishop to ordain and confirm in this traditional tradition. So you have to make new bishops. There was back and forth dialogue. There's that D word. Dialogue with Cardinal Ratzinger and John Paul II. Back and forth all through the summer of 1988. I detail those conversations as best I can in my book, Infiltration. If you want to learn more about that, there's a whole chapter on it. Eventually, dialogue broke down and Archbishop Lefebvre did what he felt he was compelled to do and he consecrated four bishops and that led some priests in the Society of St. Pius X to meet with Cardinal Ratzinger and forge a peace pact 
which becomes the fraternity of St. Peter. And you have to realize that, and I know everybody watching has their favorite players in this, but let's just be honest that maintaining the perennial dogma of the church and maintaining the perennial liturgy of the church, and yes, I know there's modifications to liturgy over time, but not total changes like we saw in 1969 and 70. That's a Catholic principle. But it's also a Catholic principle to obey the Pope. To obey the Pope. I'm going to put back on the screen, in case you came in late and you didn't see this, there's a distinction in Catholicism between the ascent of faith, which is an act of the supernatural virtue of faith, believing in the Trinity, believing in Christ, heaven and hell, virgin birth, and then we also, as Catholics, have religious assent. And this is based not on the virtue of faith, but on the virtue of obedience. So, for example, if my bishop says you are have a holy day of obligation on December 8th, I am obliged, I have to assent religiously by attending Mass on December 8th. Fast on Good Friday. I have to do that. Only use this missile, not that missile. That's religious assent. It is not unconditional. And so the debates that we're talking about, which is, for example, do or don't consecrate four bishops, Archbishop Lefebvre's decision, falls under their religious assent. And was he justified not to or to consecrate? The second read on this document is they were overly submissive to Pope Francis because something way worse is about to happen that we don't know about, and they are trying to prevent this really bad, evil eventuality. They even say in the uh, communique of apostolic visits. So what they did is, this is the second uh, read, is they used Francis's weapons against him. So they used the word dialogue, they used Amoris Laetitia, they used Vatican II, they beg for dialogue five times, and they're trying to flip it on Francis so that they don't get totally beat down or suppressed. That's one read. Another read, the third one is, they know, or they hope, or have a strong hope, that Pope Francis in the next few months, is going to resign or die. So they said, hey, let's just wave the white flag because change is coming. That's one read. Again, I, it's not my read, but it's a. it could be a read on this document. Number four would be to say, no, they did the right thing. They submitted to the Pope. If you look at the poll that I took for this show, uh, did Latin mass groups like FSSP and Institute cave in last week to Pope Francis? 75% of you said, yes, they caved in. All right. You took a negative read on it. 25% of this audience said, no, they did the right thing. They rightly submitted to the Pope. This group is looking at religious assent, which is right here next to my left ear. And they're saying, no, if the Pope says to do something liturgically or restrict something, it doesn't matter ever. You submit to the Pope. 
No questions asked. That's the right thing to do. 25% of this audience believes that and says, no, bravo, I support the Ecclesia Dei communities are doing the right thing by submitting the Pope. And I got to admit, as a traditionalist, that is a Catholic uh, belief, a Catholic sentiment. The difficult position that we find ourselves in is how is it how can we be in a situation where the pope is and maybe a council are teaching things that are ambiguous or dangerous unclear and that we look around us and we see decline in belief in church attendance belief in transubstantiation belief in or ba infant baptisms marriages divorces on the rise amongst Something has happened. Danger has been introduced. How do we both submit to Rome, submit to the Pope, which is always, which is the right thing, and then also preserve the faith? Got to admit, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? So the fourth read is no. They did the exact right thing. They are. They might sound like they're groveling, but they are submitting rightfully with religious assent to the Pope. Now, the fifth view would go even beyond that and say, well, they submitted um, and we should always submit. They should maybe even submit even more. This would be more of your progressives in your church, your James Martin. They would say, if Pope Francis calls up these superiors of Institute of Christ the King Fraternity St. Peter and says, I want from now on for you to say the traditional Latin Mass 1962 Missal versus Populum facing the people with a Pachamama on the left side of the altar. You should do it. He's the Pope. You religiously assent always to the Pope. I mean, isn't that what it says next to my left ear on the screen? Based on the virtue of obedience, you always submit to the Pope. And then that brings us back to the principle that obedience always has limits. And where is that limit? Where is that limit liturgically? The Pope says you must not have a crucifix on the altar. Do you have to obey that? Or if he says you must have a Pachamama on the altar, do you have to obey that? Where is that limit? That's really what the traditional debate is all about, isn't it? And this is also kind of the difference between SSPX and FSSP. And I think this document reveals the differences even more. Although I've, I've met FSSP priests who sound a whole lot like SSPX priests. And the way they talk about Vatican II, Pope Francis, liturgy, etc. But it, it basically comes down to can we make a peace treaty or a pact with Rome and submit ourselves to it and continue to teach, preach the traditional faith and uh, celebrate the traditional liturgy? Is that currently possible? The SSPX would say, no, it's not currently possible. The FSSP and Institute of Christ the King would say, yes, it is possible, but right now it looks not so possible. It's getting rough.
And when you look at that quote that I put earlier on the screen from St. Thomas Aquinas, it also brings out the distinction a little bit. It must be observed, however, that if the faith were endangered, a subject ought to rebuke his prelate even publicly. So, let's go to Lefebvre, Archbishop Lefebvre. Do I have a picture of Archbishop Lefebvre? Usually I do. There's a picture of Paul VI. I don't want to use that. Well, darn. Oh, wait. Here's one right here. I'm going to put them on. Here's Lefebvre. Oh, it's a painting. I kind of like this painting. I don't know where I got it. Props to the artist. Is the faith publicly endangered? It seems like it is right now. And if there's no one to provide seminary, and there's no one able to provide priests, remember, when Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated four bishops, no one said to him, oh, and by the way, if you do this, we're now going to create this other thing called Fraternity of St. Peter. He didn't know that. At least I don't think he knew that. That was an after effect. If the faith is in danger, if there's going to be no traditional seminaries, no traditional priests, no traditional Latin masses, no traditional sacraments, can a bishop like Lefebvre rebuke Peter? This is the debate in the traditional groups. So what's the end game? You know, I've been talking about corral theory. In Texas, we corral animals into a corral. It's a verb and a noun. That Francis, St. Gonga Mafia, are going to corral all these sheep into one corral. Push them, push them, push them. Close the gate and say, see you at the next ecumenical meeting with the Eastern Orthodox. That's the corral. But there's also, I think, going to be a Red Sea moment where somehow God intervenes. A Red Sea moment happens. The sea parts. Uh, Father Dave Nick said, yeah, maybe he's corralling all of us into Noah's Ark. Close the door and then the flood comes and everybody in the ark is saved. I don't know. I believe Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not going to let tradition die. I don't think he's going to let the traditional Latin mass die. But when you when you see what Francis did in Traditionis Custodis, and then you look at the groveling and the blood and the water in this communique, I can't help but ask myself, I'm going to say something scary. I don't want to trigger y'all. I can't help but think suppression might be on the way. Just suppress it all. Or there could be something in between there. And this is my final point of today's podcast. And that is, could we see a modification to the liturgy in the Ecclesia Day communities? So they have got down on their knees. They have bent and exposed their neck to Pope Francis and said, we will take the sword. We submit. We want uh, dialogue. Please give us a moderator. 
that can be the face of Mother Church between you and us. It's kind of like, I want to go to counseling. We need a counselor, a moderator. So what if Francis and his friends, the legacy following Sankala Mafia, say, <laughs> all right, we're going to give you a moderator. Here he is, whoever it's going to be. It's not going to be someone good in my, what I expect. Like if you think he's going to give him Cardinal Burke, that's not realistic. But here's your moderator. Now, in order to show that you're not schismatic, we are going to make you jump through a number of hoops. We would like all the readings to be in vernacular. Yes, Holy Father, we already do the vernacular readings after we do them in Latin. Before I know that's what you do, but I want you to do them instead of the Latin. Don't do them in Latin at all. Do them only in vernacular. Yeah, but Holy Father, um, traditionally, I don't want to hear what you're saying. You're dialoguing with me, and I want you to hear my side of the dialogue, and that is, I want you to do it this way. Not that way. Oh, yes, Holy Father will do it. Then the Holy Father through his moderator says, and we also don't want you using the old calendar and the old lectionary. That's confusing. The Roman rite needs to have one calendar and one lectionary, so you're no longer going to use that. You're now going to incorporate the new readings, the new lectionary, the new calendar. You have a Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI told us that we could use um, the 1962 Missal and all the books that correspond to that. I know that's what John, uh, Benedict XVI said. But in order to show that you're not a schismatic and that you submit to the Roman pontiff, you are going to use the new calendar and the new lectionaries. Yes, Holy Father, we will do that. Thank you for the dialogue. May we have another dialogue. Then they'll say, well, you noticed how in Traditionis Custodis how it said the Missal antecedent to the 1970 missile. Oh yes, Holy Father, the 1962 missile. No, 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 not the 1962 missile. We want you guys to use the 1965 missile. Well, well, Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI said, I know Pope Benedict XVI said that, but he's not here anymore. Technically, the missile antecedent to 1970 is the experimental missile of 1965. We have a Holy Father, that would mean, we know what that means. We want you to suppress prayers at the foot of the altar at the beginning of Mass. As it, We want you to suppress the last gospel. We want you to suppress the Leonine prayers, just as my faithful Cardinal Supich teaches out in Chicago. We want the Our Father not said by the priest alone, as it was in tradition in 1962. We want the whole congregation to say the Our Father aloud with the priest, as in 1965. We also want dialogue masses at all low masses with the whole congregation responding. We also want you guys to submit to Rome and have altar girls at your Latin mass. We want you to have communion at the, on the hand, especially during COVID guys, COVID is dangerous. Communion in the hand at Latin masses. You cannot deny anyone communion who puts their hands out for communion. Yeah, well, Holy Father, yes, Holy Father, may we please have another dialogue. Oh, yes, there's one more point of dialogue, Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King, that we would like to have with you. Yes, yes, we would like you to concelebrate at Chrism Mass every year, or you'll be suppressed. Every year, you will show up with all your priests at Chrism Mass, at the Novus Ordo, and place your hands out, and you will concelebrate. 
I don't know what's worse, full suppression or the death by a thousand liturgical cuts. Neither look good. Neither look good. And my concern is by not playing the man in the hour of challenge, but groveling and begging for dialogue and a moderator, they have missed their chance. I know with God there's always second chances. So let's pray for that. But I gave you five reads on it, and I obviously follow the first read. It just looks like, and I understand it, priestly superiors who have been spiritually abused and pushed to the fringes for 33 years. You know, these these pastors for the Fraternity of St. Peter Institute, they're put, they're not given good, beautiful places. The Institute gets good places, fraternity not so much. Bad neighborhoods, bad facilities. No moral or pastoral support from the local diocesan structure, usually. So I can understand some of this weakness. But I think the powers in Rome have seen the weakness and they will either move towards the three options. I think corralling is all part of that option, but suppression or death by a thousand cuts of submission until is there anything even left. And I would challenge you watching if your local fraternity priest was suspended over these kind of things, would you still attend Mass and go to confession to him? If the answer is yes, you believe in supplied jurisdiction, you're Lefebvreite. Congratulations. If your answer is no, then the next question is, are you ready to attend the Novus Ordo? Is that an option for you? Again, this kind of gets us back to the corralling thing. Where are we being pushed? Where are we going? All right, well, we need to pray. Every time you pray a rosary, you're, you're blowing up with landmines and grenades, all the snares of the devil. The snares of the devil, these always land snares for us, traps. And what's great about our Lord and Our Lady and St. Michael is they're always overturning those snares and then the demons and the enemies themselves fall into those snares. It's all throughout the Psalms. That's why you should read the Psalms all the time. By the way, if you're a Patreon patron, you can get that uh, document where you can listen to all 150 Psalms in the Dewey Rames edition. Just go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. While I'm talking about it, tomorrow I'm giving away the two awesome heirloom rosaries. Got the white one for the ladies and the black one for the men. If you are a student at New St. Thomas Institute or you support this podcast on patreon.com, uh, one woman is going to win the white, a man's going to win the black. I'm going to have my daughters, uh, Maggie and Elizabeth, and they're going to pick the winners. That's tomorrow, the feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. You can still be part of that drawing. Go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. This is your last chance to get into the drawing and be a supporter. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who throws some 
generous patronage into the chip jar and makes it possible for me to do these shows. Thank you very much. These two rosaries are just a very small, meager thank you from me, from our family, to you saying thank you for supporting. Okay, that reminds me. Pray the rosary every day. You can pray it on your fingers. You can pray it on a cheap plastic rosary. You can pray it on a $1,000 rosary. But what matters is your attention and your devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. She loves you. She wants you to know her son. They can take away the Mass, but they can't take away the Rosary. They can't take away Our Lady. They can't take away Our Lord and the Sacred Heart. All those things are always with us if we ask for them. The external things like the Mass can be taken away. Imagine if you were a Catholic in the mid-1500s in England. They took away the Mass from you. Maybe occasionally you'd get a Mass if a priest came through, but you didn't have access. But you could still have the faith, and you could still have salvation. That's the way God set it up. It's a beautiful thing. And the Rosary is guaranteed to bring us closer to Christ. So pray the Rosary every day, or you're not on the team. Now we're going to pray a Hail Mary. Who are we going to pray it for? We're going to pray it for the Ecclesia Day communities, and in particular, their superiors. They need strength. I'm not here to dog them. I think they made a mistake. I think there could have been some more oomph in their initial response. But you know what? They have the graces of office. They've been given more graces and charisms for their job, and not me. I'm just a dad on a webcam. I could be totally off. I might, I could die tonight, stand before Jesus Christ, and he would be like, man, you really messed that up. You have no idea what you're talking about, Marshall. I hope not. I hope not. But I'll tell you, having read the Old Testament and the New Testament and reading the epistles of St. Paul and lives of the saints, there's some boldness in a time of crisis. There's some manfulness that is required. Some saints have spoken very boldly to their superiors and to the Pope over the ages. I believe we live in one of those times. And I don't think I'm wrong on that at all. We, we live in a time of extreme crisis. I believe the worst crisis in the history of the Catholic Church. So for the men that we look to, the generals, the superiors, It's time. All right, so we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray uh, a Hail Mary and a Glory Be. The Hail Mary asking for God to give them help and grace and strength, fortitude, and the Glory Be thanking God for their leadership and the good they've brought us. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or Pranobis Peccatoribus, Nunc et Ora Mortis Nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuterat in Principio, et Nunc et Semper, in Secula Seculorum. Amen. Sancte Petre, Ora Pranobis. Sancte Iosef, Ora Pranobis. Nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for watching. If you wouldn't mind, please do me the three favors. Give it a like real quick, a thumbs up. 
share this video, share the link on Facebook, say, check out this video. Here's the link, do that on Facebook. It's a copy paste, or you can hit the, the uh, share button within here on YouTube. If you're listening on another platform, oh, I forgot to say, this podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. It is now syndicated on Amazon Music, and it's also on, what is the Amazon Reader app? Audible. This podcast, the audio version is now on Audible. So you can subscribe and listen in your car or while you work out. Check that out as well. Really excited that Audible and Amazon Music picked it up. That's a big deal. And if you watch it here, subscribe. Well, whatever thing you use to listen to the show, subscribe there. But if you're on YouTube, especially subscribe and hit the bell. I appreciate it. All right. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. We'll be back tomorrow giving away the rosaries. If you want to be in that giveaway, go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. I'll also send you some signed books. So check it out. God bless.